0: Boom! Good morning, welcome. Thanks, um, so. Today I've got Kelton on, and um, I I had about a hundred different directions that we could um, go with this and and start out, but um, let I'm we're standing up. This is the first podcast I've done standing up, uh, and it's kind of weird. I can't. It's hard to take notes and stuff. So, um, Kelton, why are we standing up?
1: Well, Tuck, I appreciate your uh, flexibility for me standing up because of my lack of flexibility, but uh, fortunately on Monday this week, I was doing some deadlifting in my garage gym at home and uh, decided to try for the first time working out with Colby in the garage with me, and lesson learned, doing a heavy deadlift while you're monitoring a kid five feet from you doesn't go well for the low back if you got poor hamstrings, and so I uh, tweaked my back a little bit and... I can stand and walk around, do what I want, but sitting right now is not the the most friendly position for me. So I'm limiting that.
0: And it's funny too, because um, eventually I think it'd be cool to have maybe like a YouTube channel with this and people could see us, but um, you're kind of a monster.
1: Uh, How tall are you? Uh, Six, three, six, four, depending on who's measuring.
0: Yeah. And this, 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 room isn't really built for, for standing, but we're making it work. And, uh, I'm six foot six one on a, on a good day. And, uh, yeah, this is, it's, it works. It's working. <laughs> so hopefully the, the audio is coming through good and, and, uh, we sound all right, but, uh, all the levels look okay. Um, so let's, let's jump into like, let's say you're at a cocktail party and somebody's like, Hey, uh, what do you do for a living? I don't know. Don't know you very well. Uh, what's your deal?
1: What do you do? Alright, yeah. So, like I said, Tucker said I'm Kelton. Uh, full name, Kelton Stackland. For those of you who don't know me, i uh known Tucker and his family since we were young kids. Grew up going to the same schools with them. Uh, his younger sister, Maddie, and I were classmates from kindergarten on. And uh, so what do I do? Who am I? I am, first off, I am a husband and a father. Um, I've been married to my wife, Jill, for close to six years. Six years at the end of this month. And then we have a Three, almost four-year-old son named Colby, Colby Robert, and so that is first and foremost who I am. Uh, for occupation, I work as a physical therapist. I do home health, primarily home health physical therapy, so I get to go and treat people in their homes who don't have access or the means or the mobility to go to an outpatient clinic, and um, I actually do that covering Hays and about six to seven surrounding counties so I get a lot of car time and uh, get to meet a lot of people in the surrounding areas. And also just recently, as far as what do I do, I just started a a new kind of fun hobby with my sister and my wife that we just launched this past week with a a website and a blog called Abundance Untapped. And I started some blogging with that. And so that's been a, a new adventure we just started recently.
0: That's very cool. Um, this is This is probably one of the reasons why I wanted to have Kelton on because uh, he's just an amazing individual. But uh, like he said earlier, he was in my sister's class growing up and I was two years ahead of him. And so I kind of always viewed him as a, as a little brother. Um, And now he's, like I said earlier, he's a monster. He's a little taller than I am. And um, it's just fun to to kind of watch the progression of people uh, younger than you and, and people that, uh, you know, like I said, I kind of viewed you as a little brother and now you're bigger than I am. And, and um, I wanted to actually kind of throw it back to high school a little bit. Um, I have this funny story. I used to have this really nice catcher's mitt and I think you stole it. Um, because I haven't seen it since high school. Have you seen my catcher's mitt? It was white?
1: I, I do have two or three probably in my baseball bag still in the attic, but there's a – I can't say I did it, but I, I don't know. If you remember the brand, I might have it. Yeah, I don't know.
0: <laughs> it's just funny because I, I remember when I wasn't a catcher um, up until high school, and then I had an upperclassman kind of mentor me in in catching, and then here comes Keltner. Uh, uh, along and he's like um i need to learn to catch too and i'm like okay um i don't know really what i'm doing catching but here's what this upperclassman kind of taught me so i remember working with you on catching and it's also kind of funny because catchers are very rarely like six foot tall and here are two like pretty tall guys like trying to learn how to catch from each others i don't
1: know oh, yeah that, do you that remember was, that i do you and uh your other classmate ricky staples kind of took me under your wing and taught me how to how to live the role of a catcher and you know actually the reason I and that was such a huge part of high school and even college for me a little bit but when I was uh so Tucker said I'm a monster he's saying that humbly I'm I am taller than him if you look at his size wise you know I'm got about a bicep girth that's about 50% of his so I'm not not quite a monster compared to Tucker and that big but I I do have some height on me but when I was a freshman in high school I was 5'4 105 pounds um pretty tall for my family my it's a we're a family of late bloomers. My dad, when he was a freshman in high school, was four ten and 80 pounds, and he's six one now. So I was I was a short kid. I think I was the second or third shortest kid in my class. and traditionally your catchers are the shorter kids. and I, I was kind of behind on keeping up with the guys on the basketball because of my height. I was playing football. I enjoyed all four years. I, I loved playing TMP football, but I uh, I got run over a lot being being my size, and so okay, smaller guy, I like baseball, catcher's a position. By the time I was a junior, I'd hit a growth spurt, and I was over six feet tall. Now, yeah, I was a tall, lanky guy um, playing catcher. But it was it was awesome to have Tucker and Ricky kind of under my wings because they were not only Tucker was a mentor in how to be a baseball catcher, but you know his whole family was someone that we always looked to as a, a mentor-type family and how they lived. And Tucker is a big brother to Maddie, like you talked about. I got a little sister named Cassidy, and so I also got to – used Tucker as a role model, even though he probably didn't realize it, on how to be a big brother. And uh, So I've always always looked up to Tucker really, probably in a quiet way that he didn't know about it, but always kind of looked up to him as like, hey, this is a, this is a man I want to emulate, man I want to be like. And the fact that we both played the same position on the high school baseball team kind of even helped out even more.
0: Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. It's, it's a weird thing. Um, like you said, it was kind of quiet. Um, and it's become louder over the years and, and you're like, Oh, Oh no. Um, people are watching what you're doing and, and how you're acting and things. And it's, it's humbling, especially, um, we're going to get into this a little later, but, uh, kind of how you left Hayes and, and what you got into, uh, PT physical therapy is, is no joke. Um, and, and then when you come back to Hayes and I'm like, oh man, uh, that guy looked up to me that that's awesome. And, um, and then the more that we've hung out and things and, and like the commonalities that we share, um, I don't want to jump the gun, but I, this is probably one of many podcasts that we'll have later on of just diving deeper into some of those, um, commonalities and subjects that we, we enjoy talking about. Mm-hmm. So, um, what I, I told uh, my little sister Maddie that I'm having Kelton on today and she's like, I was like, do you have any, anything that I should ask him about or bring up? She goes, ask him anything about Stucco. Um, so uh, I guess you guys did a a ske- a sketch or a skit to to get elected. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, so uh, Maddie and myself and Molly Schmider, Chrissy Dallin got the opportunity to be some of the ex- Stuco executives when we were seniors in high school. With uh, at that time, uh, Rachel Wintling was our Stuco director. Now the principal there at Holy Family Elementary. So um, we had a, a theme for a a pirate skit year that year to kind of introduce who we were and what we were doing and it's been a fun little inside joke between us now of this pirate theme and we're still always texting each other, uh jokes about here and there. Um and it, it was like a really awesome journey getting to do Stuko with those four and Rachel Wentland. We did a lot of a lot of silly, a lot of crazy things looking back, um, but developed some friendships there and some experiences that we still hold a day and like i said you know it's over 10 years later we'll still have group texts once a year on national pirate day and check in with everyone and the fact now my mom works at holy family and uh, rachel is her boss is just really cool to have someone who used to be my stucco boss is now my mom's actual boss and having that connection is is fun
0: um this is there's another thing that um you guys were able to help paint um parking spots and this is kind of a funny only only tmp kids will get this probably maybe they do this at other schools i don't know but the getting to choose your parking spot is a big deal at tmp and, and where you get to park it, all year long and nobody else gets to park there uh you guys got a little special treatment uh, well how'd that work
1: so uh yeah getting to choose your parking spot it's a first come first serve basis on enrollment out of tmp at least it was back when tucker and i were there and uh, the seniors enroll first, juniors following, et cetera. So always upperclassmen get the first dibs, but it's as you show up, that's when you get a, a senior parking spot. And there's a few of those just coveted parking spots. That, okay, this is great access in, great access to the baseball field, the football field, wherever you're going. And uh, part of being the, the Stuka reps, we had to be there a little bit earlier, but we didn't cheat the system completely. We did actually camp out that night in front of TNP. We got a little picture of the – Four of us, with sleeping bags and the pillowcase, sitting right in front of the TNP steps, waiting for those doors to open. And so, even though we had some, might have had a little inside scoop because we had to be there before everyone before two, we still followed the system and camped out in front of TNP. Maybe the first ones that camped in front of TNP just for a parking spot, but hey, we were dedicated. Yeah. I got the spot I wanted, so I'll take it.
0: Awesome. I think Maddie said you guys even made it in the paper or something we, for it.
1: We were in the paper for that. Yep.
0: That's cool. And she said it, it was even a little unnecessary because they kinda gave you your spots you wanted because you painted, but like out of um I guess honesty or just like proving your worth, I guess that you don't I would say You didn't want to cheat the system, although you already had, you want to just like show all the other students like, Hey, we camped out anyway, we still beat you at the punch.
1: I'd like to take the uh the virtue rule there saying it was honesty, but to be honest, it's probably more just spontaneity of, hey, you guys want to camp out in front of TMP? Do yeah, let's do it.
0: Do something crazy. You
1: know, that, that was kind of our high school story of, hey, let's let's do something crazy and all right, let's camp in front of TMP for the night.
0: So walk me through high school. How did you decide on physical therapy and what did that path look like for you?
1: Yeah. Um, so after TMP, I went to K-State for my undergraduate and I, I went, into, went into undergrad as your Typical undergrad, you probably didn't spend enough time in high school thinking about what direction they want to go, and thought that student loan money was just monopoly money. I wasn't too concerned about that. Learned hindsight twenty twenty later.
0: I'm going to interrupt you there. First of all, YK State, and second of all, um, what if you could go back and talk to your high school self? What things would you tell yourself about, like looking at majors and deciding on, like, because I, I was the same way, mm-hmm. um, and I think there's. And I ran into so many kids in college and you'd say, you know, what's your major? What are you going to do after college? And they're just like, I I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm like, how do you not know? I mean, this is like your life. And I I was fortunate that I knew I wanted to sell insurance and all that. Um, and so I kind of went to college to check it off the, the list, but, um, it just it drove me crazy that a lot of these kids were bouncing from major to major and had no idea why or where they were going or what job they wanted afterwards. Uh, could you speak to that?
1: yeah, definitely. If I had to look, go back to my high school self, I would you know tell myself, what's the purpose of going to college? Um, I think sometimes you get into this rut of thinking, okay, college is this experience we're going to learn a learn just general education, learn a skill to get a profession, but there's also times for social activities, doing things with friends, you know, collegiate sports that is this fun, exciting thing. And it's almost like I go to college and then I become a, so this is, this is not my phrase now, but as a high school, kid, and then I'll become an adult and I'll just kind of, you know, do the boring thing, you know, that's when the adventures stop. That's when the excitement stops. And that was probably kind of my mindset It's college was going to be kind of an adventure for me too. It wasn't, hey, the purpose of college is to, you know, at the end of the the day to just find that profession I want to go into is also supposed to be some an adventure. And so I think that skewed me a little bit into also, ah, okay, if I graduate in three years or five years, not a big deal. You know, it's not until you're past that and you're paying off these student loans and you have these ideas of goals you want to do with your family. It's like, man, I wish I hadn't gone that extra year just because because now I'm paying up for it um but that being said too k-state was an awesome um awesome five years of my life I say five years i was a super senior as i said i went in not sure of a major so i started off as a psychology major and then i i remember i needed one more general science class for my freshman year and my advisor said hey there's this class called kinesiology or another class was intro to dinosaurs I thought, okay i don't know what kinesiology is and intro to dinosaurs I just filled up so let's just do this kinesiology class well one thing led to another Uh, took that one class realized that the study of the movement um, study of the body the study of physiology and anatomy the study of health and fitness all kind of comes together there and so I jumped into kinesiology as a major and started to kind of search around what are the career opportunities and with kinesiology it's one of those things that you kind of graduate I would say as a In the health and fitness movement world jack of all trades master of none there's not someone to look to hire a kinesiologist but you can take your degree and go a lot of directions with it whether it's personal training athletic training health and fitness coach um into you know studies and research um, education and that's kind of where i just kind of started testing the water seeing where i was at and heard about physical therapy started doing some shadowing, and the more I shadowed people, the more I realized, hey what a cool profession getting to spend all this time investing in people but sharing things I'm already passionate about you know taking care of your health, taking care of your fitness, helping them to live life fully because they're not bound by falls or pain or weakness that keeps them from doing things they want to do so that took me on the direction to uh, applying for PT school and I was pretty blessed to get accepted to a few different schools in the area, and one of those being Regis University in Denver, Colorado. And I was torn between an in-state school of Kansas, Regis, and then Rosalind Franklin up in Illinois because at this point, I was probably two years into dating my now-wife, Jill, and I knew that we both kind of knew the direction it was going. She lived in Chicago, and I was like, man, we've been dating long distance for two years. Do I really want to push that for another, another while to go to Colorado? But there was just a part of our hearts that both said, I need to go to Regis. And that has to do with when I met Jill, who's my wife, we actually met out in Colorado. And Colorado had such a, the mountains of Colorado had such a impact on our relationship and who we were and where we felt most fully alive. And I realized getting the chance to go to school in Colorado is going to give me that opportunity to get back there. You know, I don't see myself, I don't know if I'll be there long term, but if I want to have that chance to go back to live in the mountains, this is going to be an opportunity. So that's where PT school, that's the PT school I chose, and that's the route I went.
0: So now I got to interrupt, and we got to see when and how you meet Jill.
1: Okay. So let's go back here. We are at 2011. It's the summer of 2011. And.
0: Okay, what year of school are you at this
1: point? Would have been. The summer after my junior year of college.
0: Okay. Okay. So you're going into your senior, your first senior year of college, <laughs> going into right? my first senior year of I college, Yeah. And you're still at K-State. Yep. Okay.
1: That's right. And I had uh, heard about this place called Camp Waitiwa. Waitiwa uh, is named after Carol Waitiwa, the name of our great St. Saint B- Saint John Paul II. And I heard about this at a focus conference I had gone to that Father Jarrett invited me to a couple of years prior. And... I was like, man, that camp, it's a, a Catholic adventure camp up in the Rockies where they take high school and middle school youth and they take them out rock climbing they take them out whitewater rafting they take them out backpacking. They take them um, all sorts of mountain adventures, but they don't just take them to a place where they do an adventure and they come home in a Bible study. It's let's go rock climb and then immediately after a rock climb, let's debrief. What did that learn about your faith? How did learning to trust your layer, um parallel with Peter having to trust Jesus when he's walking on water and getting to live our faith in the mountains um, through these adventures to bring our hearts alive, but being in the wilderness where Jesus escapes you so many times just to find God. So that's what this promo video is all about. I was like, that sounds awesome. So I knew I wanted to do that. I knew I wanted to be a part of that and have that experience in my life. So I uh, applied and got to be a summer camp counselor at Camp Oitiwa and Dun and behold there's a another young blonde-haired girl there named Jill who was also a camp counselor. This is her third year there at Camp Waitiwa
0: I got to interrupt you again here though. Uh, and this may happen a lot but uh the ha- had you done the camp before you were a counselor or did you just sign up to be a counselor?
1: No, i had never done the camp. I hadn't heard of it. The, the last the previous two summers I I had been working at a summer camp down in Arkansas called Camp War Eagle, which was a non-denominational Christian kids' camp for some underprivileged youth in the area. And I, I had a passion. I had a love for the summer camp experience. I, I kind of realized how much I loved the summer camp experience, but I had never been a big summer camp kid of growing up. I didn't even know about these things. We went to small ones, weekend ones, but I hadn't ever been to camp. It was kind of going out there on a limb. I hadn't had much hiking experience, hadn't had a camper, but I just, I saw the video, my heart became alive, and I said, I want to do that.
0: That's awesome. I'm, I'm very jealous actually. Um, I, I've always had this, you know, this fire of, of my Catholicism in me, but I, I've never, uh, done any of those camps or experiences like you growing up. Like we just, we didn't leave Kansas much, you know, we didn't go out and do those things much. So yeah, that's something I, I wish I would have done.
1: Yeah. And I was, I was blessed because, you know, I think as growing up, we didn't even know about this. And you don't know what you don't know. Uh, and uh, I'm grateful that Father Jarrett took me on this Focus Conference trip back in 2008 to where I saw a little promo video and kind of stirred that flame. And
0: So did you meet Father Jay in 2008?
1: No, I probably knew Father Jarrett. I can remember him as a seminarian back going to... Like I said, we didn't go to summer camps, but there was a junior CYO camp at Rock Springs I would go to when I was a 7th and 8th grader, and that was like a weekend adventure, kind of like a four-day thing, and I remember him back even then as being the silly, kind of cool young seminarian who would play hacky sack with the guys, and we would play battle hack and all that, and so I kind of got to know him then, and then actually through high school, I uh, um, was discerning what is my vocation, as I think all young Catholic men should be doing, and kind of go on a tangent here, but, you know, I felt this call to the holiness, and sometimes I think we're pressured to, when we feel this call to holiness, that means, okay, maybe I should be a religious person, not realizing that your call to holiness could be, you're going to be holy as a Catholic husband, as a father. Anyway, because of that, uh, I had actually gone on some, like, seminarian experience weekends with Father Jared and kind of talked to him as a vocations director, and that's kind of what kind of started some of our, our friendships there as far as getting to know him on a little bit deeper level. And when he invited us to go to the focus conference, I actually didn't, had no idea what focus was. He had kind of pitched it as, Hey, there's this Catholic conference, um, in Florida, it's $200 round trip, with the Slanted Diocese. And I had been to NCYC. So I thought it was just like an NCYC trip, but it's like, you know, 200 bucks to get out of Kansas winter. Like, yeah, let's do it. That sounds awesome. Let's go to some big, you know, uh, big conference. There. I had no idea that it was a, a Nationwide ministry,
0: yeah, and, and for those who don't know, uh, Focus is fellowship of Catholic university students. So uh, it's an amazing organization, and uh, I, I will probably have a, a Focus missionary on here at some point. But yeah, it, it's it's incredible.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a great great ministry, and so but that's where Father Jarrett and I kind of first how we met, and how we got to go there. and I'm so grateful he introduced and put that spark into my plug, and you know his. His investing in me to see if I was called to be a Catholic priest is ultimately how I got the door open to find out what my vocation is to, to meet Jill. It was through that conference I met Jill. And so then fast forward a couple years, uh, Jill and I are both camp counselors at Camp Wojtyla. And it's kind of funny because actually, not funny, but part of focus is if you're ever a focus ministry uh, missionary, that first year they require you to go on a dating fast because they want you to be focused on your mission, on serving the college youth. Well, Camp Otiwa is the same thing. There's a counselor group of about 30 counselor staff, and they ask us to be on a dating fast. So you don't have to break up with anybody if you come in, they're already dating, but they don't want you to pursue a relationship while you're here because it's about the community. Well, probably about three, two, three weeks in that Camp Otiwa experience, there's you just kind of realize there's something there. You know, hey, this, this uh, girl named Jill, there's something special about her. There's some connections here, and... I realized, hey, i uh, I want going to respect this dating fast. I, I never even had a real serious girlfriend before her, but there's something here that I don't want to just let pass by. And I had a uh, co-counselor said, hey, man, I think you should say something to Jill. I think that it's obvious that you guys kind of have a little fling, but you guys are also respecting the dating fast, but I think you should say something to her. And I needed that little iron, sharpen iron push just to, to be a man and step out of my comfort zone. And so I went up to her about a month this summer, and I... I just told her straight up, Hey, you know, I want you to know that I do have some feelings for you. And I'd really like to, um, see where this goes at the end of the summer. And I was told Jill that I'm going to be praying and discerning our friendship through the rest of the summer. wanting to get to know you better to see after camp is over, if we want to pursue a dating relationship, knowing that she lived in Chicago, I lived in Kansas. It wouldn't be an easy thing, but I took that leap of faith to have that conversation and I think part of that, um, reflecting back, I tell some of the, my friends this story. You think about your first girlfriend or going on a date, and it's all right, yeah, I want to, but I'm going to text the girl or I'm going to Facebook message her or something like that. And that fear to just step out of your comfort zone and be the man to show the woman that she is worth pursuing, she's worth taking a risk for. I think part of that, my ability to do that happened to be because I was living in the mountains. I like camped with Tiwa where every single day I was forced to be uncomfortable. Um, While I loved that camp and grew that camp, I've probably never been so hungry, so cold, so tired. I mean, lightning storms are beautiful when you're in Hayes America and you're watching them through your back window. But when you're up in the mountains under a tree and there's no shelter, it's a whole different story. And you're teaching kids how to be in lightning protocol. We lived a quarter mile from running water. We cooked outside, we slept outside, we ate outside. And something about being uncomfortable helped me to grow as, I guess, being uncomfortable in those situations, maybe being uncomfortable with, hey, I can say something uncomfortable to Jill, I can take that risk. Um, you know, we're not made for comfort, we're made for greatness Is the is the great quote there. And Jill, after I had that conversation, she shared those similar feelings with me. And so we just intentionally had a friendship through the rest of the summer where we had a balance between not spending too much time just together because we had this community want to invest in but also making sure I got to know her better and it came down to the uh, last couple days of camp one like last day of camp and I remember thinking we're gonna have a conversation tonight about whether or not we should um, we should pursue a dating relationship and again she's in Chicago I'm in Kansas it's not gonna be an easy thing and what I did not know was that she had actually been praying a novena for the last nine days leading up to that day, knowing that this conversation was coming. And she had been praying a novena to uh, St. Therese Le Sue, which if you're not familiar with the St. Therese Le Sue novena, sometimes people will um, ask St. Therese for her intercession, for God to give them a sign in the form of a flower, of, you know, God, if you want me to do this, like, if you, red flower means this, or white flower means this. And Before I go into this story, I want to say a little bit of reflection on novenas. I think the beauty of them is not to become over superstitious with that sign, but realizing that as you start praying that novena day in and day out, you kind of start realizing what what are you hoping to get? You know, I'm really hoping to see that red flower. I'm really hoping to see that white flower because it means this, and that right there is the is the intercession of the novena. That is God opening your heart and telling you this is what I want you to do. This is where I'm telling you to go because you know, your passions, your desires are my passions, my desires I put in your heart. Um, so not to get too superstitious on the red and white rose, but a kind of a cool story on that. She had been praying to uh, this novena for nine days and she said, you know, I'd like, if I'm supposed to date Kelton and pursue this uh, this uh, long distance relationship, show me a sign of a red flower. But... If i'm not supposed to pursue kelton and you know god you have other plans for me like show me a white flower so it was the last day of camp and our camp count our director said okay guys i want you guys to each take four hours to yourself four hours and just go out in the mountains anywhere here on camp property and just be with god just have silent time take a bible but just take this time to yourself and i remember there's a a spot a little ways away that I just love to just overlook a mountain overpass, overlook some of the, um, above treeline areas. And it was kind of a far walk. So I was like, Oh, actually, before that I was going to go down to this river stream. I was going to drive down there cause I could, okay, I'll do this river stream. I got four hours of just being with God in nature, but I started driving down there and for some reason I just felt, no, I want to go to this other spot. I want to go to this other spot where I can walk to, um, instead of the stream. So I just turned around. But by this time I had spent 20 minutes trying to do this and I was like, I want to get out faster. So I went and borrowed the camp bike. And I borrowed the camp bike to go out there. And <clears throat> this was day 9 of Jill's Novena, not knowing that she was doing this. I'm riding the bike and I like on this path I go right past Jill. Well, this bike I picked up was just like a standard white bike and it had a sticker of a red a red rose right on the bike. No idea. So Jill sitting there praying, God, am I supposed to date Kelton? And I just Day nine of her novena, I just ride past her on a bike, and there's this red rose on this bike I'm riding. And it was a really cool way of, I think, for her to get that answer from God, that yes, take this risk, take this leap of faith. And we had that conversation that night and um, decided that we were going to try this long-distance dating relationship. And three years later, we got married. So that's kind of our story. <laughs> a part of the, you know that's, a, that's, that's the initial part of the story, you know? Oh, my gosh.
0: Uh, I... I wanted to interrupt like ten times, and I'm glad I didn't. But uh, this is this is amazing. How old? Okay, you said you're a junior going into your senior year, so you so are be 21. twenty one years yeah, old. I'll well, be
1: twenty one that summer. Yeah,
0: you're amazing. All the other twenty one year olds are getting trashed all summer long because they just turned twenty one. They can buy their own booze, and and you guys are are saying novenas for your future husband. And this is this is incredible. So, um, yeah, I, I liked your. Your sidestep with this superstition, because I think a lot of people think of a novena as, as magic, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's it's not. It's it's this novena is from the Latin word for nine, and it's nine days of prayer. And you do any nine days of prayer and living with the Holy Spirit and having God guide you. There's no way that you can't succeed, you yeah. know. It's just that's that's an awesome story. Um, so now, how does that, how does that work? How do you go from being, hold on before I jump into that question, I wanted to uh, sidestep with your Camp Waitiwa, um, from, for anybody who doesn't know, um, I read a, a biography of Pope John Paul, the great, and it was amazing. Um, I loved it, but he spent so much time with the youth out in nature. And I, that's got to be why they named, it, named the camp that. But it just in hearing your stories about um, what you guys did there, it just brought back so many memories from this book of uh, what he would do. And he would just go out with youth and they would ski and they would hike and they would camp and stuff like that. And just his – guidance for them, uh, do you think he had a a big impact on you?
1: Oh, very much so. Uh, Pope John Paul II, I mean, I think there's no one in our generation or generations before us who hasn't been impacted by just how great of a person he was and inspiring. But at Camp Watiwa, the part of also why he was named Camp Watiwa was where they first founded their camp was at this Camp St. Molly's Retreat Center, which is up in Allens Park. Unfortunately, that retreat center since burnt down with a fire and then had a mudslide, so there's just a chapel there now. But this is where St. John Paul II stayed at when he came to World Youth Day in 1992. And so we got to be in the place where he stayed at. And then there's also there's a hike, a trail there that I got to hike on and this is called the, the JP2 Trail. Because this is where, when he came to World Youth Day in Denver in 92, he actually hiked through this trail, and so it's, okay, this is hiking where JP2, and there's a picture of him sitting underneath a tree with a shaver, just shaving out, out in the outdoors, and he was someone who truly realized that God is in the wilderness, and the beauty of the natural world, the beauty of creation, can bring our heart alive. Also, adventure, you know, the quote that we use a lot at Camp Watia was, perceived danger, but we wanted these kids to be in a sense of perceived danger, knowing that they were safe, because learning to become afraid, then to overcome those challenges and learning to trust others. There's just so much fruit and so much parallel into walking our Catholic faith that St. John Paul the Great, he knew that and he lived that. And that's why his role model of how he lived his faith um, in the nature, investing in the youth, getting them to experience God through experiencing the wilderness is exactly what Camp Wetia was based off of. And so I have not read his biography, but he has been a patron saint that, you know, I ask for intercession and prayer very often ever since that camp experience. And I would love to read that biography sometime too.
0: I'm going to drop the name of it here just for you and for other people to check it out. But um, do you remember a specific time in that camp experience when you were— guiding these youth and you're putting them in this perceived danger and in your mind and in your heart you're going there might be real danger here um I am getting a little nervous I know that it's probably okay but uh do you is there a specific story you can remember from that experience <laughs> where you're like um we want them to hold on to god but I'm praying my heart out too that nothing bad happens here
1: yeah um you know, and I could probably say that happened on a every third day with a lightning storm when we were outside. But one I can experience, one I can remember, is I was I taking a group of high school youth on a backpacking trip. They, the uh, high school kids, could either go on like a three or four night backpacking trip, or they could do this other one where they got to do a little bit more diverse things, but they could still do a one night backpacking trip. So it was me and a camp counselor, and we were leading eight, uh, seven or eight kids on a backpacking trip up in Rocky Mountain National Park to this place called. Oozel Falls, um, beautiful, beautiful hike. Anyone in Kansas who ever wants to go out there, Oozle Falls in the wild basin trail area is to me one of my favorite hikes for someone who has minimal experience hiking but wants a huge reward. Very easy access, very easy to get to. So we were we were taking them on this trip there, but we're going a little bit further and gonna have a campsite. And we we pulled in and the Ranger Station said, Just so you know, we're at your guys' campsite, we had a bear spotting last night. Like, oh, all right, good to know. So we went through training on wilderness first aid, wilderness danger precautions, and ultimately wildlife. There, bears are not a huge concern of mine, um, unless they're, unless you fear, unless you startle them because they got to cope with them. Usually, you can scare them off. Um, the moose are actually the most deadly animal in Colorado, believe it or not. People think they're so friendly, but they're more than that. But I had still eight kids whose kind of lives were. Between me and my other twenty one year old counselor, you know, watching these high school kids, and we started to make dinner that night, and the one thing with bears that's gonna attract them is food. Smells of deodorants, toothpaste, food, all that kind of stuff. So you gotta really make sure that you don't have anything in your area. Well, <laughs> we started making our meal, and fortunately we just had eyes that were way too big for our stomachs. We started cooking. And we we just weighed way too much food for all these kids and they couldn't finish it. That actually started to bring some fear like guys like we can't not finish this food. Like, there will be a bear here while we're sleeping. Um, and so it, it was kind of a fun thing, but I, I think that we could avoid the sin of gluttony because we were doing it out of the sake, sake, of, sake of safety. But then we got to this point, we couldn't do any more, so we had to take some kids, and hey, let's go about 30 yards this way, and then we're digging up big holes to bury the rest of our food that we just couldn't finish. Um, but there was that, real, you know, that realization, hey, if we don't handle this properly, there could be a bear here, if they have a cub, you know, I don't. I don't want to have eight high school kids running around and they're looking at me, Mister Twenty One Year Old. Hey, save my life! And so that was a a fun experience that i always remember. That of, you know, just the ranger say, Oh, by the way, hey, there was a bear spot in your campsite last night. And all right, here we go.
0: Very interesting. Um, do you remember what you had for supper? Would you overcook?
1: And it was probably usually if we had camp stoves with us, and a lot of times we would do. Um, either burritos or a pizza those Uh are pretty pretty easy so it's one of the two but then we also made like a cinnamon roll thing on our camp so this it's fun when you're out hiking you get to experience different types of foods and if you can make it you want to make it because you're hey i packed this in my backpack the whole time yeah but then all of a sudden hey we we brought this food let's cook it and then all of a sudden it's cooked like shoot we can't finish it
0: (laughs) we overdid it here that's awesome all right so um i don't want to lose the timeline here so you um You and Jill talk before you leave camp, and you go your separate ways. You're headed to Colorado for PT school. She's headed back to Chicago,
1: right? I, I was still going back to K-State. I still had two more years to finish. Oh, okay. So. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, but she's in Chicago? Yes. Okay, and you're K-State.
1: Yeah, so she was at this point. So Jill, um, who don't know, she also works as a physical therapist, and she had just finished her undergrad and was getting ready to start her first year of PT school at University of Illinois in Chicago. And so she was going into her first year of PT school, and I was heading back to Manhattan, Kansas. That's
0: and she's, she's older than you, yeah, but she's younger than me?
1: Correct. Okay. Yeah. So to, she would be, to put in perspective, a lot of times you know, people think of you know, your high school graduating class. Tucker's a class of 06. I'm a class of 08. She'd been a class of 07.
0: Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So she's, where does she go to grad school?
1: University of Illinois in Chicago.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right, and so she's ahead of you a little bit um and then you so while she's finishing out her grad school, you had to sh- uh Colorado right
1: correct yeah, her third year that's when I started physical therapy school out there in denver okay
0: so um how do you how do you guys navigate that and manage your relationship and-
1: yeah well uh we're blessed to live in the era we do with technology um. I think most people will say technology is a blessing and a curse. There are many days where I wish that cell phones had never been created because then I wouldn't be tempted to text and be on it and be distracted by it. But, you know, it's a blessing because I think that we could have had a relationship that would have succeeded had we just lived off of letters and notes. But being able to Skype and see each other, and we call each other single, every single day, we would end the night together, actually um, – we would call each other and say a prayer together before we went to bed and uh, check how things were going. But my dad told a story of <laughs> at our wedding. He's like, you know, so my dad grew up uh, in that City, Kansas, and kind of in a Brady Bunch family after losing his mom young and then his dad remarried, where altogether, if all the kids had been alive, there would have been 14 kids. And, <laughs> you know, uh, farming community is not the most wealthy. And he told t- the story that, you know, as they got into high school, if they found a girl they wanted to go on a date, they would have to go to dad, go to my grandpa um, beforehand and say, Hey, dad, I, I found this girl. I really like her. Can I borrow the family car this, this Friday? I want to take her to a movie. And uh, he would think about, you know, that, you know, ask about the girl and see who else had already asked her to reserve that car. And he said, okay, yeah, you can. And then he's like, well, do you really like her or what do you think? And he's like, if you really like her, I'll give you a quarter. And so that was kind of like, if you found this girl you really liked, Grandpa Henry would give, give you a quarter. So Dad was telling the story. And so Dad says, you know, now Kelton here is getting to that same age. And, you know, first time he comes up to me and says, Dad, I found this girl. I I really think she's something special. I really think she's something special. Um, I was going to ask if you could kind of help me out because I really want to invest in her. Uh, could you buy me a plane ticket to Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> and so we went from a quarter to a plane ticket to Chicago. That's awesome. But no, my parents and her parents were gracious to help us out. And we, you know, I learned I had had some jobs through undergrad So I probably got to go up to Chicago three or four times a year and we almost saw each other probably every other month. Um, I drive it sometimes. I got to learn the Amtrak system, the train system, and then a lot of Skype and a lot of yeah, Skype and cell phone talks and able to manage that really well. The beauty of a long distance relationship, though, is one thing that we had to do is we had to figure out how are we going to grow together. And we decided to read a book, going back to JP two, um, one of his earlier works is called Love and Responsibility. And this um, this work of his is this beautiful, uh, just a beautiful script he wrote about about relationships and how to pursue relationships and the purpose of relationships and for someone like myself it is above and beyond my head. I like when a scholar can break it down and make it a lot easier to read. Well gratefully a guy named uh, Dr. Ted Sree did that. He wrote a book called Men, Women, and the Responsibility of Love and the Mystery of Love and it's a, it's a breakdown of that book. So let's, hey, let's do this book together and Jill and I would read a chapter and one thing we kind of learned from that book is You know there's four aspects of a relationship uh physical emotional mental and spiritual so physical emotional mental and spiritual and the beauty of a long distance dating relationship is there is no physical relationship there's not holding hands there's not the hug there's there just isn't that spinning sitting next to each other on a couch watching a movie so the mental intellectual and spiritual is what we had to root ourselves in Um, and i think that you need to have all four aspects but being able to root ourselves, and like I said, we would say a Divine Mercy chapel most nights when we were in college together before we go to bed. We would read a book together, um, sharing things on the emotional side, rooting ourselves in those aspects of the relationship. Um, then put that foundation there so that then when we work together. Um, you know, we I knew her on a deeper level than just, oh, I feel I feel warm and fuzzy when I get to sit next to you, kind of thing. The the physical side, and then. It, yeah, it helped us to know each other in a deeper, more profound way. And then when we got to be with each other, it's like, okay, I, you know, as far as in the same place, I wasn't shy around her. We just knew each other so well because of those other relationships.
0: If well, and it, sense. if it isn't obvious to anybody else listening to this, like the, the massive importance of, of faith in, in this relationship is there. Because this is this is not going to work if you guys aren't so
1: deep in your faith. A- a'm Obviously, a'm into, right? Amen to that. Um, and <laughs> I think when anyone's pursuing vocation, you know, pursuing am I called to marriage, pursuing, uh, yeah, I guess, a dating relationship. I just heard this on a talk just yesterday from uh, one of the directors at Camp with I was listening to her give a talk. And this was like four years ago at... World Youth Day. She was uh, one of the presenters there. And she talked about wisdom she was given is that if you feel this call to holiness but you are really should I should I date this person? She was told, just keep running towards Jesus. And as you're running towards growing your faith, look to your right and your left. And that person who's running there next to you, that's the person you should be dating. And that's that's where Jill and I were. I mean, to be honest, Jill, that summer, she had a some rough experiences in undergrad and it was just kind of ready to say, you know what, God, I don't need to have a boy in my life. I don't need to have a guy in my life. I'm going to go to Camp Tia and just give myself to you. And I'm going to call this my guy detox summer where I'm going to, you know, almost get rid of that fulfillment, uh, that, that feeling that I need to have a guy in my life for fulfillment. And um, maybe I'll never get married and I'm okay with that, God. I'm okay. Just you use me as you want to. And it was like when she surrendered herself to her, that, a week later, I gotta say, hey, my name is Keltin. who are you? and one you know one thing led to another we've already talked about.
0: that's pretty awesome. so um I want to fast forward uh, quite a bit to the last like um, year to eight months or so. Um, there's this guy named Jason Evert that um, is coming to our hometown of Hayes, Kansas, and um we are put on a committee together, kind of, um, you know, somebody calls you and said, would you help with this? And when you're like, w- what do you mean? What is this? And they're like, well, Jason Evert is a-, a Catholic speaker. He's coming to Hayes. We need help, uh, promoting the event and stuff. You can almost not say no, right? You just, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And then, um, thank God Kelton stepped up to kind of run the show because, uh, with, three kids in school and all that stuff and then our our other partners have what five or seven kids like <laughs> uh no. thank god uh but it I I got to see Kelton kind of in his element and it was really cool because and, and we've talked about this a little bit already but the age difference so um Patrick is was a junior when I was a freshman That's so Patrick Prediger. Yeah Patrick Prediger and um I remember looking up to him as an upperclassman and as somebody who uh, I looked up to and respected and stuff. And then Kelton was younger than me, and Kelton comes up and just runs the show and, and does an amazing job of it. And um, it was really cool because I don't know if you'd heard of Jason Everett before this, but I, quote, unquote, hadn't. And the reason I use the air quotes, quote, unquote, um, is because... Jason Everett had been active in my life, I just don't remember his name. Um, I was recently moved my desk uh, at our house. Uh, I work out of the house, and uh, we moved my desk around, and we were cleaning up, and I found a a burnt CD from Jason Everett that I had listened to however many years ago. And then uh, that book that I was talking about uh, is called St. John Paul the Great, His Five Loves. It was written by Jason Everett. Um, I finished it. I posted a thing on my Instagram, April 17th of 2019. Again, I read the whole book. I didn't realize Jason Everett wrote it. But now we're on this committee to promote his coming to Hayes, and uh, Kelton's doing an amazing job of running our group um, to promote Jason Everett. And I'm like, who is this guy? I've never met him before. But it's just amazing how the Lord works in our life and and brings – this this into focus yeah. I don't know if you have anything to say to that, but it was just a, a cool story.
1: No, thank you, Tucker. I appreciate that it is um, it's been been really fun with working on promoting the purified event in Hayes, which is still hopefully scheduled for September 9th. Uh, there'll be more details that come on that, but the whole coronavirus situation had to delay some of our our hopeful um, presentation we we're going to do with him back in May. But, yeah, it was fun because Cassandra Prediger, Pat, Patrick's wife, got was at the Messenger one day when she was just there and Father Brian Lager was there. And Father Brian Lager uh, gets off the phone and he just says to Cassandra, hey, Jason Everett's coming to town. We just got Jason Everett to come to town. Do you want to help me promote this? And she's like, yeah, sure, let's do that. And then Cassandra said, yeah, let's, let's help promote this. And then all of a sudden she just starts getting all of the logistical emails and details. And was like, wow, this is a lot bigger than we realized. So she reached out to Jill and said, we got to make a team out of this. And then we kind of thought about who, I don't know, um, who else, you know, kind of making like a three or four family team. And the first person that came to both Jill and I was like, we should talk to ask Tucker and Jill. They'd be great at this. They got skills on this. And we kind of developed a team between us and then the Vielmas, Michael and Reagan, to promote Purified and getting to work together with this group of solid Catholic families and not only pu- promoting what is such a necessary message of the importance of purity and chastity to our young people because it is the last message they ever get from the culture. Um, getting to work with other families and seeing how they interact at our group meetings with their parenting styles, their spouse communications, it was a it's been an awesome journey. And uh, one of the blessings of the coronavirus delay is it's got to extend that journey and we're still working on it.
0: Yeah, this uh, I as much as I like the, the mental exercise of doing something uncomfortable, I really like my comfort zone. And getting on committees like this and doing stuff, it, it, it's out of my comfort zone. I don't like it. But once I did it, once we had those meetings i i appreciated it but then when coronavirus like took them away i was like this sucks i i miss meeting with my friends and saying prayers and planning things and collecting money and you know just all the things that we had to do and it was like well i guess we're still doing it uh, it's just delayed so we get to do more of it so that was kind of cool but i got to I realized after telling that whole Jason Everett story, kind of um, where I was going with that, one of the things that they encouraged us to do was to um, get into a a devotion of some sort. And the um, coincidence, I mean, as much as we've talked about magic and superstition. Coincidence is kind of that same word, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's BS. That's God like nudging you in your life, right? It. Um, what, what did we do? What, it was your suggestion. I'm pretty sure. And it was a good one. What?
1: No, it, it actually, it wasn't me, but it, the God incidents here is, uh, so we had divided into different committee members and Cassandra and Pat, they were like our prayer leaders. And one thing that was encouraged was the prayer leader was like, okay, you guys, that's your, your role. You choose a devotion for us. Okay? You choose a devotion. And uh, so Cassandra came um, that next week and she said, hey, I, I heard about this book called The Consecration uh, to, to Jesus to St. Saint Joseph Saint jo- and the St. Joseph Consecration. And it was like just one or two weeks before that that I was just introduced to that. And I had this huge yearning to do that. And so we, as a group, decided we are going to do this consecration to Saint Joseph. You know, the um, patron of purity, patron um, terror of demons. And Joseph, you know, most chaste, Saint Joseph, most chaste. We're going to do this as a prayer together to prepare for the purified event and to prepare the recipients, the the youth coming to this event, to to ask for protection from the evil one who's going to try and distract them from coming because he doesn't want them to hear this message and doing the consecration to St. Joseph with that group. And also I got the blessing to do it with, um, one of my men's Bible studies, probably one of the most powerful devotions I've done in my Catholic life.
0: By the way, uh, terror of demons is probably one of the coolest titles ever, right? For a saint. Uh, but I got to ask you, what gives you the balls to tell us? Because you did this. I don't know if you even remember doing this, but um, we're like, we got our books, we got ready, we're gonna start it on this date, and you're like, hey, if you're not gonna, if you're not going to devote yourself to Saint Joseph, then just don't do it.
1: Well, well, I think what I was trying to come across there was um, about two years ago. Before that, I had done. Uh, Father Michael Gately's text, 33 Days of Morning Glory, the Consecration to Jesus through Mary. And I, with that group, um, while we're all very devout Catholics, I knew people were at different walks in their faith life. And I think the text is beautiful, but making the consecration at the end comes with a sense of a promise to yourself that you're going to live a life where you are making these promises of, you know, giving your your total self to mary and saint joseph to to jesus through them and i just wanted to come across that hey like if you read this text you don't have to make this consecration if you're not ready to do it but don't just don't just say it and make the prayer because everyone else is like you have to you know if you're going to say the prayer make that commitment um and i think that is important though too because one i don't want to scare people away from Feeling oh now I've done this book and now I feel obliged and I have to do something that I don't want to do. But at the same time too, when you realize this is this is serious. There's there's gravity here of I'm making a promise. I'm going to live a certain life of you know going to Joseph, going to Mary, um, going to Jesus through them, and I don't want to take that lightly because if we live that lifestyle and we say oh, yeah I am committed, I am going to say this prayer with a purpose, it's awesome.
0: Um, what? where is I going with that? Um, what, what would you say to somebody who's misinformed or, or just doesn't, doesn't know what they're saying when they say, well, so, so you, you worship Joseph, you, you worship St. Mary. Why did you read a whole book to, to devote yourself to just like, no, I don't get it. Why, why do you worship saints?
1: And I I probably won't do this answer justice as I know you've had Father Ryan on before and some of the greater theologians, but we don't worship saints. You know we ask for intercessory prayer from our brothers all the time. And you know you see if for another fellow Christian friend you say, hey, will you pray for me? I got this big job decision coming up, or I'm I got I just got diagnosed with an illness. Will you pray for me. Who better to ask for prayers for from? the mother of God and the only person who had Jesus has ever been obedient, had to be obedient to who's a human is Joseph. Joseph, you know, even though he was not, um, immaculate conceived, he was given this gift from God of, Hey, you are supposed to raise my son, teach him how to work, teach him how to be in the world, but not of the world, teach him, keep him safe. You know, I mean, the, the responsibilities of you are, that one of the titles there St. Joseph is Savior of Saviors. You are the Savior of our Savior. You're the one who kept protected him from King Herod when he was coming after him in Bethlehem. And you're the one who uh, protected him throughout his youth. And don't you think that Jesus adores and just loves his mother and father for all they've did? I know for my, myself personally, if someone came to me and just started telling me how much they honored my father and my mother because of how they raised me, I would feel really respected towards that person. And I think that Jesus will honor those gifts of, I want to honor your father and mother because of who they are. And I want to emulate them. You know, I want to live like Jesus, but I'm not part God and part man. There's a lot of things I want to be like Jesus, but... Joseph was pure man and that I can almost connect with that a little bit better. So I want to live like Jesus, like, like Joseph being pure man in the way that God taught us. And, you know, going back and, you know, do we worship Mary? Do we worship Joseph? No, like this is not about, Hey, we're going to be consecrated to St. Joseph. We're consecrated to God through St. Joseph. We're consecrated to Jesus through Mary asking for them to pray for us to their son, because, Again, it said, if I can ask my friend to pray for me, not that my friend is any less of a person for God to hear his prayers, but if God's gonna listen to someone, I bet he's gonna listen to his mother and father. You know? Sure.
0: That's a good answer. A perfect, not perfectly winded answer. Not long winded, not short winded, it's just it works. It's I like it. Um so as you Let's go back to kind of your your story, your timeline. When do you and Jill finally get to go on a date together and get to kind of go down the the road of engagement marriage and get to be together rather yeah. than just
1: skyping all the time <laughs> all right so yeah our we started dating. I got to um, visit Jill probably within a month after Camp Wai and visit her parents. And it was probably within the timeline of the first, honestly, I would say within the first two to three months of dating Jill, I knew that God was telling me if I'm called to marriage, it's marriage to Jill. So I I, I really felt felt that conviction that, I wasn't discerning Jill versus some other unknown woman that God has put in my life. It was am I truly called to marriage with Jill or is God giving me this experience giving me this opportunity to experience dating if I'm called to the priesthood so I can have a better understanding of what that lifestyle is like to be able to um provide that. So um
0: and you said this is the first 2 to 3 months of you long distance. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, so once we started dating, because like I said, right away, our physical, emotional, not physical, emotional, spiritual, intellectual relationship kind of started. Now, blessings that meeting at Camp Utiwa, having a little bit of experience of going to focus conferences, having to listen to Jason Everett speak before, we were both familiar with emotional chastity. We were both, emo- you know, chastity, spiritual chastity, mental chastity. We didn't die of anything prematurely. There was topics that – and I went to spiritual direction with Father Keith Weber at this, throughout this time and also uh, occasionally with Father John Loggers. I was going to K-State, and he would come up for that. And I got guidance on what are the topics that we talk about when we're dating, what are topics reserved for engagement. And so that helped us to – while we were growing emotionally, there also wasn't this like let's just jump the gauge, jump the gun, and start talking about how many kids do you want to have when we're dating for two two weeks. That's, you know, that's silly. Um, so that time frame then was, we dated for two years, the summer after two years of dating, I got to go up and live in Chicago for the summer. Um, this is right before my, yeah, starting physical, physical therapy school. I got to work, you know, Kansas kid going to Chicago, the Chicago, you know, the city still kind of scares me. I got lost in the suburbs one time, ended up in a very unsafe part of the, of the city, which is a whole story in itself, but. Kansas kid going to Chicago. I'm going to be there for a summer. Who would have known I found work at a horse barn, <laughs> a horse barn at, right outside the city of Chicago. So I got to do something I was kind of familiar with of uh, throwing in hay bales to a to a loft and just kind of doing la- landscaping, cleaning the place up every day. While I would stay, I got to stay with her aunt and uncle because Jill and I were also um, from a physical chastity standpoint. You know, we didn't want to stay. We, we didn't gonna ever stay in the same place, and if we had to stay standard the same roof, we're gonna be in, you know at our parents' house, we're gonna be in different rooms. So I got to spend the whole summer living with her aunt and uncle, and it was that summer that I proposed to her. Um, we proposed to her, and then we set our engaged our mar- pretty much our engagement time for about a year, and a lot of that had to do with also our schools um, trying to figure out the best time to to get married that would complement our school schedule, and so then we were engaged for a year. Jill still stayed in Chicago. I was in Colorado. And then June of the year we got married, 2014, she moved to Colorado. I was living with my aunt and uncle while I went to PT school. And there were some focus missionaries there who had a house of five kids and with a house of five kids still kept a guest bedroom for just to host someone. Wow. While the girls, all the girls would stay in one room, the boys would stay in one room and they hosted Jill for free for that summer. And That's amazing. Yeah, uh, another God gift, God blessing there saying, hey, this is what I want you guys to do. So we, you know, she was able to find a place where we could be in the same town, but still under different roofs until we got married and also get incredible mentorship from just this Catholic family the whole time too while she was living with them. So then we got married uh, August of 2014 up in Chicago.
0: Okay, hold on. Um, sorry to interrupt again, but I, I just got to underscore the, the massive importance here because so there's so many excuses nowadays of, well, we're just going to live together to save money. And, um, well, you know, he, he has school, but I'm working. And so I just, it, it grinds my gears, but you guys moved heaven and earth. You tried and, and the good Lord blessed you with free housing for Jill because you were willing to do something hard and and not live under the same roof, would it would have been so e- so much easier to do that? I I sorry I interrupted, no. but no, I, it's I mean, a I, huge point.
1: Thank you. I think that is so huge. Knowing, I think part of that comes with the more you know, the better, the easier it is to make the right decisions. I mean, the statistics are so clear that those who cohabitate, not you know, not only are their risk for divorce just that much higher. But there's even statistics on this. the happiness of that marriage is just so much less. And for us, you know, as God has been part of our relationship this whole time too, what is marriage if I've been living with Jill for the last three months for last year? Yeah, it's this awesome sacrament, but nothing in my life has changed. And by making it, like the marriage day was like, okay, now everything has changed. It just made that sacrament so much more fuller for us otherwise there's i think there's people who delay marriage uh, because they're like you know hey yeah i want to go get married and i want that grace but my life doesn't look any different you know we've been sharing the same house for two years now we are on each other's bank accounts and all that but when you reserve that for marriage it makes that sacrament just so much more full so much more full and um I've you know the gift that I received by having the chastity to wait till marriage to be with Jill is such an amazing gift that I I just want young men and young women to know like you can't ever get that gift back if you choose to give it away and it's such an amazing gift that I want other people to experience it but it's so easy just to say well everyone else is doing this or financially if we just live together it'd be be a lot easier for us but god will provide i mean it's not always going to be the easiest path you have to make some hard decisions but if you commit to that um doors will be opened to make that lifestyle happen for you
0: so when jill was uh pregnant with kobe did, did you guys find out what you're having beforehand
1: no we did not why uh, am i not surprised <laughs> yeah we uh well uh we can take this conversation where we want to, or save it for a later day. Um, so, Juliana got married in t- 2014, and then in the summer of throughout that time, we were open to life. I mean, obviously, and we had done natural family planning and training, but we weren't specifically trying to conceive that first year of marriage, just because, like, I was a year into PT school. Um, by the time we both graduate PT school, we're going to be two hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt. And I was like, maybe it'd be good to have a job at least before we start, you know, tr- uh, trying, but with natural family planning, you're always open to life. And we also had this desire to grow and have a big family. That's always been placed in our hearts is this, this yearning to, to invest in children. Um, summer 2015, Jill gets pregnant and we are ecstatic. Um, the one of the biggest joys it just can ever remember feeling. And, in a very sad situation, but very realistic for so many people here and this listening, these listeners, and in our area, that doesn't get talked about a lot. We lost that baby to a miscarriage. Um, that child we named Micah Francis, and that misca- miscarriage was has been such a part of our family dynamic. Um, do you want to talk go into that a little bit?
0: Absolutely. Okay. Um, you may not know, but we had a miscarriage too. So I. I wanted, I, and I knew you guys did too, but I didn't want to directly ask about it. So yeah. it's been awesome that it's just organically came up.
1: Well, I, I think it is awesome that it's organically came up. And I think I think it's sad because for some reason in our culture, and I think it's getting a little bit better now, at least personally, but miscarriages seem to be something that we don't want to talk about. Um, we don't want to bring up that hurt to the mother or to the father, or they just, it's almost like you don't want to share it with people, but had that child been born and died one or two weeks out into the, into this world, everyone would have known everyone would have been praying for you and loving on you. And I want to value that life just as much, whether they died in the womb or died outside the womb. And. I think that miscarriages, I think there's a a need in our culture in our, not culture, but maybe in our churches for more miscarriage ministries, because so many women go through that. You know, I had never knew the statistics of just how common this, this is until we had gone through it and started to talk with others and go through it. And then also to be able to share that with someone, they say, oh, I experienced that too. I've never talked about it has been such a, a healing aspect for it, um, with with the miscarriage. So, uh, we found out at the 10 week mark and I remember just being devastated. It's probably the first time I can remember crying in a long time. And we, we sat in the parking lot there I think we got to call our parents. We got to tell people and we were in their parking lot just for an hour. I mean, if so, just trying to embrace that because not only have we lost this life, it was this dream of this children, this family that we've always yearned for that is like, man, like all this hurt because this is, we've always wanted this family. And now the first child we were given is called up to heaven much sooner than we had hoped for.
0: Well, I think there's, there's so many misconceptions there's so, I mean, and this, this goes with our belief that, that aborting children is murder. Um, so that, if you have a miscarriage, then you didn't lose a life, but we did. No. And, and it goes with that same belief that, um, and, and the other m- misconception is that it doesn't affect the husband. But if you, if you rewind a, a few minutes, I said, we had a, had a, a miscarriage too. So it's, I mean, like you said, we just, we cried. Yeah and and it it affects us as much you know um our we didn't even like we found out we were pregnant and found out we had a miscarriage within like days of each other so we didn't even have the the time to like relish in the the pregnancy and the the opportunity we we're like oh my gosh we're pregnant oh my gosh we're not it was like a roller coaster so yeah. uh it and everybody's story is different
1: Amen. I, I every and that's that's so true. It's we because guys and women, girls we're gonna process things differently, but it's it's a a huge grieving wound for for both. And I think another thing, just on the topic real fast, is just to really help women and men understand that miscarriages are so common and frequent, and you didn't do anything wrong. You know that it's so easy to play the blame game and i i see this from talking with other friends more in the woman of playing the blame game and that's only the devil just trying to make you even hurt more worse even yeah, hurt more worse but you know even hurt worse and isolate yourself from getting the grief that you need but with with our our miscarriage so once we got home um we asked our figure, what do we do how does this how does this work and the first thing I want to do is I want to name that baby. This came, um, for those of you know there's a book, heaven is for real. And there's a movie about it too. And I had read that book probably four or five years before this. And one of the things that when Colton Burpo who had a near death experience and got to witness heaven, when he went to heaven, he saw this sister that he never knew about. And when he comes back and he's telling his parents about his, his journey into heaven, he says, Hey, I have a sister up there. And her her mom, his mom just started weeping because they had never told Colton that they had a miscarriage before they had Colton, but his sister, he met his sister while he's in heaven. And so
0: in the book, Colton's like six or eight or something. I can't remember because I read it too, but I can't remember. He's, he's under 10. I'm, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's a young kid when he's, when he's sharing the story and knowing that. It, and it's such a authentic story that I, I do believe it. And all right. Like, he saw his sister in heaven and like, okay, I have a child in heaven who's there waiting for me. I want that child to have a name. You know, I want to bring, you know, life, like a uh, value. I want to bring that to that child. And so we named the child, Micah Francis. um, And then kind of started processing. What do we, what do we do? Where do we go? And, this was, uh, I'm going to say a Tuesday or Wednesday in July when we found out the date. What we had planned for before this ever happened was that following weekend was a Camp Boitewa counselor like staff reunion. It was like a weekend in between uh, campers and just kind of staff could come up and just camp for the weekend and, and just stay there and old staff and be up there for a couple of days. And we had been planning on making this trip. And I remember talking to Jill, I was like, I don't know. I can't go anywhere and have fun. Like I'm not going to have joy. But at the same time, she was like, but that's where we need to be. Like, we just got to, let's get away from everything here, away from work, away from cell phone access, and just get out for a little bit, out to camp where we love. And so we go up there, and um, there was an older couple there. And they were having a a seminar with the counselor staff um, for a, a Saturday seminar on sex edu- like sexual education, purity, chastity, just kind of kind of almost a Jason Everett type thing, and they were just talking to them. And so Jill and I were still there, and we were kind of just reserved. We hadn't really shared our story, but we did share it with the camp directors. And she's like, I want you to go talk to those people um, when they're done. And so that, that elder couple who had came out just for the weekend to share about chastity and purity with these counselors uh, said, hey, can we talk with you guys? And just wanted to share some of our story. Come to find out this lady works as a Catholic grief counselor who specializes in miscarriages. Like, wow, God, you know, what do I need most right now is what you can say through her. And she shared some things with me that were just so helpful to process in the grieving. The first one is what's a parent's ultimate responsibility for their children? It's to get their kids to heaven. You know, that is, as a father, my ultimate responsibility is to get Jill and Colby to heaven. With Micah, I've already done that. And... You know, as a father, I'm the father of a saint. Like, holy cow, that is awesome. Um, with a miscarriage too, there are tissues and cells in the woman's body that will always stay with her, if every every pregnancy. Um, and there's actually part of the part of the stem cells and part of the cells. I don't go into too much detail on the physiology, but that'll even be part of that next child. But Jill will always carry in her womb part of the cells of Micah Francis. So, you know, she is, what would that make, her like a a second-class relic of a saint. She's carrying around, you know, cells of a saint, and Colby has part of Micah um, with him. And I think just realizing that Micah is just as much part of our family now as if Micah had been born um, fully, but now it's different rather than, me trying to get Micah to heaven, I have intercessory prayer through Micah saying, Micah, pray for our family because we need help with this. And that is such a such an amazing thing to keep Micah as part of our life, help Colby understand that he has a sibling in heaven, but to value that life and to go to them asking for that prayer, that gift. You know, they are there's a company that actually helps funerals for miscarriages. And their title of the company is called Heaven's Gain. And that's exactly what it is. Heaven Gained Micah. Mm-hmm. And it's a loss to Jill and I, but it's not a loss to Micah. Micah just got to skip all the mess of this world and go straight to the good stuff.
0: Yeah, he got to miss out on 2020. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's a, that's amazing. Yeah, we named ours uh, Bella Petronella. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, I had a, a client this week that, um, you know, I ask vaguely, you know, how's your, how's your health in general? And she goes, oh, I'm, I'm healthy. I just, I had a lot of, a lot of pregnancies. I'm like, really? How many kids do you have? And she's like, well, six, six are alive. I had 13 pregnancies Wow. and nine children and six are still alive. And I'm just, I mean, I was blown away. My mind was just spinning on like 13 pregnancies is a lot. And, but to, and then to And she's not even, I think she was like in her mid sixties and to only have six children, like just the amount of loss that, that she experienced in her life from miscarriages to other children, grown children dying and stuff. Just, I couldn't imagine. So yeah, that was sad.
1: It's, and it's hard, I think for us as parents to fathom the hurt that she's gone through. And I listened to this, actually it was on Divine Mercy Radio, it was one of their little commercial ads in between shows one time, and it was Mother Angelica, and I'm, I'm going to butcher this quote, but she was talking to, a, she was sharing a story about this la- two ladies talking, and the one lady said, yeah, I've lost all four of my children, and they've all, they've all passed away and gone on, and the other lady looked at her and she said, oh, I'm sorry, how sad, and the lady, the mother said, no, what a blessing. What a blessing I got to be able to, have that gift because ultimately you know god gave them to me to borrow for a little while to get them ready for heaven and i had to give them back to god and that's all our children are and the grieving is so real um it it is so true and my father michael schmitz quoted this one time that death can break our heart but it can't break our hope and that's what i think about a miscarriage is you know it's it's going to it's going to be sad because it's a loss for me it's a loss for Jill. It's a loss for Colby to have that sibling. But, you know, Earth. our time on earth is short, time in heaven is eternal. And I'm going to see them one day forever. And it's a good motivation to make sure I keep myself in the, in the right place.
0: Um, let's, let's kind of tie up the timeline here because we got to fill in. Uh, you guys are engaged, and then you have Colby or We're uh, married. Sorry. Hold on. What year was the miscarriage?
1: So, 2014, we got married. 2015 was the miscarriage okay
0: so what happened in the engagement so she's living with the uh, the focus missionaries mm-hmm. and then and at that time you're engaged right correct where do you get married and when
1: so we get married at her home parish in Lombard Illinois which is a suburb of Chicago and I always remember it was remember my first year <clears throat> I was one year into PT school and I had to do a clinical rotation and my, our wedding was one week into my clinical rotation and <clears throat> these clinicals are pretty strict about not missing hours, not missing time because part of the accreditation process, is you have so many clinical hours. So if you have to go off because you have, you know, a family reunion or something like that, you really got to get approval. I remember calling my, my clinical instructor and I said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be your new student. Uh, the first week, do you mind if I take off a day early for my wedding? Is that okay? <laughs> I remember asking him that. He's like, are you <laughs> kidding me? Like, yeah. So we, we got married up in uh, Chicago, Illinois. and, what a fun experience cuz i had a lot of my family and friends who traveled there and we got to i mean almost i would say 40-50% of the guests there were people who traveled from kansas and that was so huge for us to have have the wedding there um and have the share with the family and friends and i got to introduce to chicago illinois it might have, it might have been the first time chicago had it but at least it was the first time for any of jill's family and friends to see what is a wedding march <laughs> but there was not going to be a wedding there was not going to be our wedding dance without a wedding march so we got I to love the wedding march introduced that to them and after we got married we uh J- jill and i came back and we actually we lived for one month in a carriage home in longmont colorado and that was just my temporary place to because of my clinic rotation and then we moved back and we were uh she moved back in where I was living, which was my aunt, aunt and uncle's house at the time where they were, there were snowbirds and they had a house in Arizona. And so it was a beautiful financial situation. They needed someone to take care of their house. So Jill and I were, and they're taking care of their house. And then for a couple months in the, in the summer we'd all be there together. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of where our marriage started at there.
0: Very cool. Let's, uh, I've only got maybe three more questions. We'll wrap this up. Um, NFP is natural family planning, and it's it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and I'm, I'm a little ashamed to admit that uh, Jill and I didn't practice that in the beginning of our marriage, but um, diving into it and being more... The more we learn about it, the more we practice it, the more of a blessing it's become. Um, what's your experience with NFP? And before I let you answer that, um, how has fasting um, like you talked about I mean the first time you met your wife Jill um, you're fasting from from dating um, I know you and I talk on a regular basis about fasting from food um, and fasting isn't just starving yourself of something it's a it's a higher meaning or a higher goal of the reason why you're starving yourself you're starving yourself from sex from... Um, food from alcohol, from whatever it is, but you're you're fasting. Um, how does that play
1: in with your NFP as well? <clears throat> well, I, I yes, starve not starving. Fasting is not a life of deprivation. It, to me, it is going to bring about more abundance than it is going to be deprivation. Um, from a science scientific look at it, and just taking the faith out of things, there is a term hormesis, and hormesis is causing our body a small stressor that's going to make it stronger and more resilient. Take that now into the fasting aspect for our faith life by causing myself that stress of not getting what I want when I want it. I'll become more resilient to saying no to those temptations that aren't going to bring me life, aren't going to bring me a prolonged gratification. Um, The more you learn to say no to that, I want this now, the easier it is to say no to those decisions that can ruin you or just keep you from living that fullness of life. Like I said, our marriage night, the fullness of that and getting to experience that is something that I just yearn for young men and young women to experience. Um, But had I not had learned self-discipline beforehand, we might never got to that abundant. Uh, that abundant experience that I can always reflect back on. like This is beautiful. Um, and so I do think it's a really important thing that it doesn't have to yet. You know, every person has their own fasting doesn't have to be <clears throat> so scary or so extreme. You know, it can be, I'm just going to fast from coffee for one day, start somewhere. I'm going to fast from checking my Facebook three times a day to checking it once today. You start somewhere, but learning to say no to yourself, to say yes to bigger, greater things, um, taking that into, you know, Tucker and I, we've talked a lot about, even from the health side of things. And if we ever, I'm sure there'll be a podcast someday of getting into biohacking and all sorts of fun topics there, but learning to say no to, you know, food for 12 hours or 16 hours or longer, what I've learned that is discipline carries over. discipline in one area of life is going to carry over to other areas of life and lack of discipline in one area is going to carry over to other areas so learning to say no to poor food choices or fasting or social media use for such amount of time um, makes that ability to control your control yourself and you're in control of your urges not your urges in control of you when it comes to using nfp Um, so nfp natural family planning Again, it starts on that foundation of having discipline and having respect. But the beauty of it, too, is the the communication. I think that, you know, as you and Jill, you might, you know, and it could get confusing here. We both, we're both married to a Jill. But with Tucker and Jill saying how they've kind of dove into NFP recently, when you're talking about the charting and you're talking about, hey, it's a green day, it's a white day, it's, you know, different <coughs> – different terms we use in the natural family planning, you're talking about where are we at in life with your spouse? You're having those important conversations. Are we are we wanting to try and conceive a child? Where are we at right now? And you're having those conversations weekly, daily, monthly at least. And that is such an important thing that is a fruit of NFP, is how it brings the spouses together on discussing, thinking, making sure you're on the same page with everything there. And then, when it, you know, if you do discern that, hey, it's not the right time of life for us to be conceiving a child for one issue or another. Um, you know, with NFP, you're always open to life. Um, you're always open to, open to life. But having that foundation of discipline, of knowing, hey, you know what? I'm saying no to those urges, and we, there's a reason that we don't want to – we're trying not to conceive right now. And so we're going to say no to, you know – the sexual act, the sexual union on these days, but you can say no without feeling such that burden of I can't control myself because you've learned how to say no beforehand with smaller things.
0: Yeah, and and like you said earlier how uh technology is a blessing and a curse, you know, this is one of those blessing times where there's, you know, uh, thermometers and apps and things to help you, you and your spouse to kind of be on the same page rather than, you know, she wrote it in the book and that book's at home and I can't remember which day it is and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So it, I definitely appreciate that, that aspect of technology as yeah, well. definitely. I got two more questions here before we wrap, wrap this up. Um, one of them is a story you told Uh, One time that you asked, I think it was Father Fred, about tattoos. And he basically said, look it up. What did you find when you looked it up?
1: So, I've... That's back in high school. I'll be honest. I I might flip this one around to ask you first. and And I'll share a little bit of what I've come to know. But I don't believe that there is a definitive answer on tattoos so I'll, I'll go back to just a little bit of a little plug-in for father fred one of the best educators tucker and ever i tucker and i both uh were blessed to have in a sense that he taught us how to learn he taught he was he made us do the research even though he knew the answer off of his head but if i didn't have to go and question my own things on the faith that would be um much less fruitful for my own learning and what i I'd like to hear what your your input too on this because I don't think I know fully but from what I understand is I don't think there's a definitive statement that you can't have tattoos but I have heard a little bit of there's some caution with tattoos of just changing your body um, from what God created it to be and let, 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 me, let me, I like to hear uh, actually your input to me and a man who's a devout Catholic man, who is my mentor. I mean, honestly, I look up to you in so many ways who has awesome religious tattoos. What, what have you learned about tattoos in the Catholic world?
0: Yeah. And so I appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity, but, um, yeah, like, uh, like you said, I, I have tattoos. I have plans for more of them. Um, there's one actually, I, I don't know if I've ever told this. So, um, you might be hearing it first, but, um, to go along with our, our uh, consecration of St. Joseph, there's a, a tattoo that I've had planned, I've, I've wanted to do, and my tattoo artist says like, no, I won't do that. I'm not good at that or whatever his reasoning is. I'm, I have one schedule, a, a different tattoo scheduled here at the end of September. I might hit him up for it again and see kind of a deeper meaning for his reasoning, but I wanted, uh, the sign for St. Joseph is a, a white lily. I've always wanted that on my wedding finger because I want Joseph's blessing on my wedding, on my marriage. I want him to help me be a a better husband and father. And from it, I've never, I don't know, I have six tattoos or something like that. They all have a deep meaning. And and one time um, my wife, Jill, was like, Where's my tattoo? Because I have a tattoo for my mom. I have one for my dad. I have one for my grandma when she passed away. And I'm like, well, this one is yours on my ribs. And she's like, what do you mean? And, and I explained the whole reasoning behind it. And she's like, I had no idea. And I didn't do the research, to be quite honest with you. I The tattoo I got on my back... I wanted before I was 18 years old, I asked my mom to sign off on it. And she said, no, you will wait until you're 18 and you can do it yourself. Um, Not because she wasn't willing to sign off on it, but because she wanted me to go through like that discerning process of you are getting something permanent on you forever. And my first one is in the middle of my back and it had, and it's in Latin. I took Latin in high school and Latin is the, the, um, language of the church pretty much. And so it's, uh, the four, um, virtues that I think are important, honesty, humility, integrity, and honor. Um, and I think, I, I do have a regret on that tattoo. There's only one regret that I have on that one is where I put it. It's on my back. I can't see it. If I want to see it, I get to read it in reverse in a mirror. And so Yes, there is discerning process. The the um, one I have on my left calf actually came from a homily from Father Fred. Um, and so I have reasonings behind all of mine, and the majority of them are uh, Catholic-based or faith-based. And so I've never seen a downside to it, um, although I do respect the the view of God would have put a tattoo on your skin if He wanted you that way. Uh, and you, but uh, I don't know. As there is no definitive, absolutely not, don't do this. Um, there, the Catholic Church does lay out certain things that are forbidden. You are not allowed to do, and tattoos not one of them. So uh, that's kind of my take. I I ride in the in the gray area there, uh, but. Yeah, to each yeah. his own, I guess. I
1: think yeah, I think to each his own. So I didn't want to say anything that would come across as um, controversial or offensive because i I don't have the I don't have the brain of the Catholic Catechism in my you know to spiel out for you. And so I I do think that I look at ta- some guys with tattoos and I say that's a awesome tattoo and that the meaning of that 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 constant reminder um, you know just from my own personal standpoint like I. I wear a certain necklace every day and I have other, other ways of, my, my ways of reminding, um, just I'm not drawn to the tattoos, but I, I don't think that, I look at someone with a tattoo and I still look at them with the same level of Catholicity, honor, integrity as before. I just didn't want to say anything as far as what I learned because I'll be honest, I probably can't tell you the accurate answer sure. by you know, my, my recollect from back to junior year of high school.
0: <laughs> yeah. If you, if you run into me at church though, you probably wouldn't even know, you know, most of mine are, are fairly hidden. But, uh, last question, uh, before we wrap this thing up, um, I'm sure there's going to be a part two. So we have, I didn't get to about half the notes. I didn't even ask any of these other questions. Like we talked about earlier, I have, um, biohacking and diet and stuff written on my notes here and we didn't even get to talk about that. So we'll have to save it for next time. But tell me about abundance on tap. You guys just, th- did I call it right? Yeah, I did. Okay. You guys just launched that, launched that like two days ago, three days yeah, ago, something uh, like that. I, yeah. This past week. Why did, where did this come from? What, what are you looking to do with it?
1: So this is, uh, a project that I am diving into with my sister and my wife, Jill. So my sister, Cassidy, is also a physical therapist. So Jill, I, myself, all three of us are physical therapists. And we're also passionate Catholics We also have a love for adventure and a love for the mountains. And one thing that we wanted to do together is, hey, we have these gifts. We've, have, we've been blessed to get this kind of knowledge on certain things. How can we do this as something together? How can we journey as a family together? You know, we'd thrown out ideas in the past of, you know, starting a PT clinic, but that wasn't what really brought me alive. You know, the, the business side of things, wasn't it? And at the same time too, a website or a blog is what this is. It allows us to share what we've learned. You know, I want to, I want to give, I want people to know things that I've learned because you know, I've been blessed to receive them and someone else should, you know, it's just sharing that knowledge with somebody else. And it's like, how do you, how's the best way to um, give back to just those who want to listen? The messages I've been given to me have been really fruitful, really blessing. It's like, let's blog, let's start a family website. <clears throat> you know, my wife is super talented with physical therapy. She is an incredible clinician on helping people to get out of pain, restore mobility, how to do daily little things. And so she's take, kind of taken that aspect. Um, myself is a big part of abundance untapped is going to be a combination of faith, fitness, health, adventure, and finances. And the, idea, the abundance comes from John Tintin. I have come, they have life and have it to the fullest. And we wanted to say, this is, this is our strategies. This is how we are trying to take our life to live it abundantly. You know, I don't want to be a guy who reflects back 60 years from now and has the Henry David Thoreau quote of, you know, I've lived a life of quiet desperation, a life of, oh, that sounds nice. I wish I had that life. No, I, I want that life, that life that brings my heart alive. And it's it's out there for us. And for us and my family, um, getting out in the wilderness is a big part of that. Another part, though, is what are those barriers that keep you from being able to live that life? Like realistic barriers, you know, and Part of that can be finances. Like some people with our finances, if we're never taught how to be prudent with our finances and how to be a saver and to um, make wise decisions with our money, we're going to be trapped in a hamster wheel that will constantly keep us giving our time for money, and that time takes us away from being the dad I want to be or being the having the adventures I want to live because I get money from my income. I spend it on everything I need to do to keep up with the Joneses. I think that's what life is all about. And it just goes and goes and goes. And so part of Abundance and Tap that we're also kind of focusing on is this journey that we've kind of been going on to of trying to pursue financial independence. And that's a whole nother topic for itself. But you know, Jill and I have been blessed through, through part of this journey. We've paid off $200,000 of student loans in just over uh, three years. And a lot of that has to do with it's, it's not our, you know, not just an income, but blessings of God will provide and blessings of learning how to prioritize our spending habits, but also learning how to be smart with our money. Where do we store our money so that, you know, our treasures are coming back fivefold or tenfold in a way that's also in alignment and congruent with the Catholic church. Um, and so that's just kind of, you know, and I, I'm speaking more on the finance side because of this whole family blog. That's my aspect where I'm kind of contributing the most, so I'm a little bit more uh, on that part of things, but that's what it is, Abundance Untapped. It's, you can find us on Instagram, find uh, abundanceuntapped.com is our website name, uh, Facebook, I'll be honest, I don't really have social media, Cassie and Jill do that, so I don't know what else we're on, but I know Instagram and Facebook, they're Cassie and Jill are doing great on that part, but if you just want to follow, you know, our journey doesn't have to be your journey, but... I've been blessed with lessons. I've been blessed with, um, things I've learned that I want to share with people because ultimately all of us are made to be fully alive and we want to give back to people and say, this is how we have come way, found ways financially, how we eat, how we adventure, how we think about life to become the most, you know, best version of ourselves and to live fully alive. And that's going to be kind of our Avenue to reach the world with that.
0: That's amazing. Um, usually I do some quick draw questions. I think we'll save those for next time. Um, I really appreciate your time and, and everything that you've given us here. Again, this is probably part one. I'm sure we'll have, we'll do this again sometime. So is there anything you want to add before we sign off?
1: No, Tucker, thanks for inviting me to podcast. I've been a, a little nervous. I've never podcasted before. I, I consume many, many a podcast with all my driving I do for work. And I've always thought it'd be really exciting. And, uh, so this is this has been been a lot of fun, and I look forward to uh, hopefully a part two sometime.
0: Yeah, I I left you hanging a little bit. You kept asking me how to prepare and stuff, and I'm like, ah, we'll we'll get you through. Don't worry about it. So uh, it's good, it's good, and uh, I can't wait to do it again. Me too. All right. Thanks again.
1: Yeah.